0: Welcome to Ramdas Here and Now. I'm Raghu Marcus. This is our first podcast of the year, 2014. So I want to say uh, Happy New Year to everybody. And I also want to thank everybody for the support that the foundation and ramdas.org has gotten over the last year, in 2013. And one thing we did accomplish, uh, aside from that great book, Polishing the Mirror, that came out uh, in uh, September. Uh, many other things were accomplished and really due to all of the support that we do get. And we got enough support to to begin the uh, digitization of this vast archive of Ramdas and Friends uh, audio and video, and we're getting at uh, creating new books out of uh, uh, some of the archiving that we've done. We've got, uh, uh, oh, this is the first announcement of this, a, a book that's going to, Recount uh, the stories of uh, those people in the early 70s that followed Ramdas back to India. Now, not all of them went through Ramdas, but many of them did uh, the second time he went back. And uh, in fact, one day Maharaji said uh, to us after Ramdas got there's a whole story, and it's one, in one of these podcasts where he got very angry at all of us. Uh, at the time, for what he just uh, called um, undarmic behavior, a lot of self-interest. We were uh, like when Maharaji would come out the door, we would all like r- run to get as close to him as possible, and that involved a little bit of elbowing, I think, back then. <laughs> and he didn't like it. He was very angry at this kind of behavior, and he and he said so. Uh, and there was a whole incident where he threw a plate of food at one of the satsang it was really uh, a pretty crazy and moment and maharaji right in front of him maharaji and he called us all up and he said you know what's wrong and we told him you know ramdas is just angry at us for this undarmic behavior that we we have been carrying of course we were only in our, you know 18 to 25 i think was the age range and um and at one point he said to us you know he didn't say you know he said none of you you don't know who this being is you don't know who ramdas is he said he said none of you would have gotten here except for him i'll never forget he said that and so uh of course uh through all of these years many 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 people have uh, come to awareness of maharaj and uh, an awareness and a path to finding out how to uh, live in this world through ramdas uh, and this uh so this is all uh coming to be at this point. we are able to go ahead uh, again due to everybody 's generosity and support to to get all of these uh i mean we we have eight hundred uh thousand uh, maybe a thousand hours that we 're dealing with and we have a bunch of uh media that 's already up on ramdas anyhow enough of that uh, this uh, uh talk that I found is called uh Greed and consciousness, and after I I got through listening, I'm thinking, whoever named it, I don't know, greed and consciousness. The greed was just about how we basically come out uh, of the womb uh, and uh, ready for socialization and, uh, you know, I, me, mine, I, me, mine, and then at some point we have a, a, a spark that ignites our awareness, And uh, here's a couple of things, you know, we're talking about. Most people in society are pushing away experiences that indicate they have an identity on other planes of reality in order to hold tightly to the plane they are comfortable with, right? So many, many people, even having childhood experiences, they push away any kind of... uh, other planes of consciousness that they enter into. I mean, uh, you know, I think we've all had a bit of that experience. A liberated being is somebody who has moved out of the reality that they thought was absolute initially in their life into another reality and another reality. And they are liberated from being stuck in any single reality. So that this whole lecture is more around this concept um you know of of our of our uh individual incarnation evolution it says who you are in an evolutionary sense is somebody in this very lifetime that has begun to awaken to your predicament our predicament basically of a limited reality so uh that's really more of the core of what this is about um I don't know who named it, but uh, we can rename it. Anybody has an idea, let me know. Um, so uh, going forward into this year, uh, again, appreciate the support and really need the continued support. This is phase one of what we're doing with the media library. You will start to see more and more um, content come from uh, both, uh, you know, archival Ramdas and Friends because it's not just Ramdas. And also uh, new content that we develop through webinars and uh, uh, retreats and so on and so forth, uh, webcasts. And um, I also want to say that coming in February, uh, Ramdas, a reissue of Grist for the Mill is coming, and it's a beautiful uh, book. It's a small book, but it has. Uh, it, it was a beloved book that went out of print, and we're, we're getting our friends at Harper One to reprint. So that's February 12th. I think on February 11th, Ramdas is going to do a webcast uh, talking about it a little bit, take some questions maybe. Not sure about that. So uh, look at ramdas.org, and you'll find all of this. And uh, again, we appreciate your support. And please do continue. And here is Ramdas here and now.
1: Miami seems like a good place to reflect upon greed. I was watching a baby feed, a very young infant feed. Now, that's pure greed, pure greed. It's just there is no self-consciousness about it at all. And then we get socialized, and we mix greed with a liberal dosage of guilt and shame. to control our greed. Then later we mix it with rational rationalizations, a rational structure to control our greed using our intellect. So when we are a controlled greed instrument, we are called socialized. We still have the greed. We still want what we want when we want it. Because when we're getting just what we want when we want it, we have a certain feeling of, yeah, ah, right on. You know when you're really thirsty, and there's no water, and you've got a long distance to go, and you finally get to a point where there's a cool glass of water, ah, ooh, or you need to go to the bathroom, and you're on a long bus trip, ah. that moment of getting just what it is that you wanted, it's a moment when you merge. You were somebody wanting the water. It's like with sex, it's very clear. You want the orgasm. You think, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And then there it goes, there it goes, there it goes. (laughs) But at the moment, at the moment, nobody's thinking anything. Nobody's thinking, this is it. <laughs> there isn't anybody there to think anything. But that lasts about that long, unless you can get it out to theirs, right. master. of the selfless moment, the moment when you're not busy being somebody doing something, the moment of flow. Now in the culture has been changing and we're throwing off a lot of our guilt and shame. So what happens then? Everybody tries to come back to basic greed. To get what they want when they want it. When you're hungry, you eat. But then you see people swelling bigger and bigger and bigger. Just out of pure greed. More and more ease. More and more comfort. More luxury. More, 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 more. If I get just a little bit more, it'll be just enough. And for those moments, it is, it is enough. The problem is that those are moments in time, and a moment later they're gone. You're all masters of going up and coming down. You know how to get up there, and you also know how to get down. And most of you, no matter how hard you push, come down. You buy a new car, you get behind the driver's wheel, get that rush. Ah, just the fantasy I had. Here it is, $4,000 later, I got it. You zoom down the road, the moment. A few days later, there's a squeak. New dance. The moment is past. People who are designing their lives around getting more try to get those moments in closer and closer together. Because if you can get them in close enough, you may not notice the space between them. So, right in the middle of dinner, like, what's for dessert? You're in dessert. Think of some coffee. Drink the coffee. Let's go to the movies. we are in the middle of the movies. What do we do after the movies? Let's get an ice cream soda. Ice cream soda. Let's take a walk. Taking the walk. What do you say? This is great. Let's go to bed. Go to bed. What's in the refrigerator? And so it goes on and on and on, always just Getting ready for the next one to make sure there's not going to be a space between the one you're in now. Because God forbid, there should be a space. And the fantasy of the society is if you have enough money and enough power, you'll be able to do it. You'll be able to bring it off. You get them in so tight, it'll just be one whoosh. Right. It'll just be jetting to Tokyo for breakfast all the way. Right? That's it. But television as a obvious media medium has not somewhat of a hole in that fantasy, because it confronts you on the screen, right in your own, right between your feet in your own bedroom, with faces of those people who made it. And if you look in close, the vibration often isn't one you want. It's as if. I made it by everything society said I should do to make it. And where is the pot of gold? What's wrong? But why worry? The sun will be up tomorrow. It'll be warm and toasty. I'll just worry about how to earn a living, keep my kids alive, get a little sun, have a little leisure, smoke a little grass. It's okay, I'll fill, I'll fill. But there is a moment when you don't want to fill anymore. When the futility of your predicament of grabbing at things that are in time becomes too apparent. When that happens for an individual, he experiences despair. And in the midst of that despair is the seed of the next stage of his growth of awareness. You are here in this room almost without exception because you recognize what I am talking about. That even if you are in the midst of collecting it all, of having good home, good family, good insurance policies, good security, good fun, good sun, good nature, good social responsibility, good political activism, good health food, good clothes, Good friends. Back inside of you is saying, what is it back in here that's yearning for something else? What is it? Is this just neurosis? Are we just a collective group of neurotics? We may well be, by the way. This may be the dissatisfaction of an affluent society, grasping at straws, or it may be that we are part, we are pseudopods. We are those things that go out from the amoeba. We are the leading edge of a shift of consciousness in which we are now reaching for something more profound, deeper in our own beings, deeper in the universe. Obvious shifts, for example, in this group, many of you are shifting from identifying with that feeling towards the universe of, My job is to master and control my environment, shifting to my work is to hear and flow with and be a part of my universe. Now, that's an entirely different ego structure. That is a shift in consciousness. That is the answer to the ecological imbalances that come from man's intellect attempting to control nature. That's called, in Chinese philosophy, the Tao, the flow the harmony, being in tune with, being an instrument of the universe instead of a master of it. But what a humble ego to be willing to do that. If that were Henry Kissinger, he would have to listen instead of just sending. That's the difference between a politician and a statesman. That's the difference between a knowledgeable person and a wise man. We are collectively in training to become wise persons. A wisdom that is going to be reflected in our beings our actions are going to reflect the shifts in consciousness that we are about at this moment. Now, actually, who you are has another level of significance that some of you will find difficult to hear. Others will hear comfortably. And it concerns issues of reincarnation and karma, of who you are. See, at one level, you think you are somebody sitting in North Miami Beach High School. And you think you are a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, or some mixture. But you have so many levels of identity, so many levels of identity. Why do you pick that particular reality to cling to? Because it's being fed by your senses and by your thinking mind. Until your eye be single, until you only see with the third eye, you are hooked on these eyes, these ears, this nose, this mouth, this skin, these thoughts. And that creates which reality? And they're all tuned to a certain frequency. And on that frequency, you are sitting in North Miami Beach High School. But who I see you to be is, for the most part, very different than who you think you are. I've been through the example many times. Many of you have heard the example. But it's such a vivid image that we can repeat it and work with it. It's a good one. It's the one of the flipping of the switch by the eyes, the, your perceptual apparatus, your receiving set. See, if you tune into channel, a channel, let's say channel 2 on your television set, your eyes, What you see when you look out at the world is the physical reality. You see man, woman, big, little, old, young, dark, light, bald, hairy, developed, undeveloped, mole, bent nose, this, that, whatever. If you're preoccupied with that in yourself, that's what you see in everybody else. If you think you've got a funny looking nose, what you notice when you walk down the street is everybody's nose. It's bizarre. Right? If you think you don't have the right clothes, all you notice are people's clothes, a right? physical reality. If you are horny, what you notice in all people are who's makeable who is a competitor with you for who is makeable, and who is irrelevant. And that's the reality. That's what you see. That's watching all the girls go by on the street corner, or the boys go by in Ms. Magazine. One more. Flip. Now when you look at another person, what you see is as if two mirrors were placed facing each other with nothing in between. You see itself looking at itself, looking at itself, looking at itself infinitely. For you have moved to the plane of the ancient one, of the one, where there's only one of us here. In that reality, there is one of us here talking to itself. We are making believe we are the many. We are playing as if we're many, so we can play out this dance. We are all in drag, because when you rip off the mask, there's only one of it. Right? And I am talking to myself. Now, the minute you left the psychological, the minute you left that second channel, went to the astral plane, you immediately left North Miami Beach High School. Which of these realities is you? Who are you? Who do you think you are? Are we, just to complete the game, we'll just go one more. One more flip. You disappear. I disappear. The television receiver disappears. We have just entered into the formless called the void. Not nothing. That's something. These are all relative realities, physical, psychological, astral, soul, one, all of those are relative realities in form. They are all relatively real. No one of them is absolutely real. If you try to stand in one of them, you're going to have to deny all the rest of them. And if you are standing in one of them and saying, who I am is my psychological self, and then suddenly you have a dream or a vision, or your consciousness alters, you say, I was out of my mind, or I had a hallucination. In the New York Times last year, there was an article in the um, Sunday Supplement a study done on mysticism in America. And it said, two-fifths of the population of the United States have had a transcendent mystical experience. That's an enormous number of people who have gone outside of their ego structure. A sampling of those two fifths, 85% said, it was the most profound experience of my life, and I never want to have another one. (laughs) Can you hear that? Because it upset the apple cart. Because if you want to hold on to your neurosis, and suddenly you've been catapulted out to where you are experiencing oneness with the universe, what happened to your neurosis? And if you've built a whole game plan around your neurosis, you are left with nothing, nowhere to stand. So it is true that most people in society are pushing away experiences that indicate that they have an identity on other planes of reality in order to hold tightly to the plane they are comfortable with. Now, what is liberation within that context? A liberated being is somebody who has moved out of the reality that they thought was absolute initially in their life into another reality and another reality, and another reality. And they are liberated from being stuck in any single reality. OK? Somebody we call psychotic is in a reality other than the one that, say, three psychiatrists agree to. Okay. Like the example I gave, I think, in uh, The Only Dance There Is where I visited my brother, who was thinking he was Christ, and the psychiatrist, who thought he was a psychiatrist. Right? And they both were in a room together, convinced the other one was insane. But the insanity is clinging to any reality. I didn't say functioning in any reality. I said clinging to any reality. A conscious being functions in all realities. Can't you have your astral identity and your physical identity and your psychological identity and your spiritual identity? And your identity is the one? And you are beyond identity, all here and now? That's what the game is. Would John Morley call his house, please? Who you are in an evolutionary sense is somebody who, in this very lifetime, has begun to awaken to your predicament of a limited reality. That's it. If you think of the image of a clock, 12 o'clock, Perfect harmony in the universe. Perfect flow. A metaphor you can work with about 12 o'clock, Garden of Eden. Everything is in relation to everything else, there is no separateness. Within that perfection, God has said man has choice. That's part of the perfection. Choice to do what? Choice to act in opposition to the will of God, in opposition to the flow, to the harmony. If you cannot get into an emotional reaction to the Garden of Eden story, it will teach you a great deal at this moment. Before eating the apple, which is the apple of knowledge in which man goes into duality, dualism, in which he then knows but no longer is. He has separated himself in order to know. He wants to be God. He wants to know, not just be. Following eating of the apple, God finds him covering his genitals with a fig leaf. And God says to him and to Eve, who told you you were naked? Where did separateness come from? Where did shame come from? Why do you even think you're separate? Because the minute you start to think about something, you have separated yourself from the flow. Now, be careful, because I'm not knocking intellect. I'm merely doing what Viva talked about, shifting the intellect from being a master to being a servant. OK? 12.01, you ate the apple. You ate the apple, by the way. Now you suddenly look around and you see it all, but you're no longer part of it all. You are experiencing your own separateness, the beginning of alienation. You are cast out of the Garden of Eden, out of the flow, out of the self-consciousless flow. From 1201 to 559, birth, after birth, after birth, after birth. You are born into your separateness again and again and again. And each time you spend your life trying to optimize the control with your separateness in order to re-experience what you had at 12 o'clock, but still keep your own sense of separateness. In other words, you want to be God and have your own heaven. That's what somebody in Miami Beach wants, is to be God and have his own heaven the way he wants it. Everything you have done, birth, after birth, after birth, after birth. And do you know how many births we're talking about? I mean, I can't do enough after births. Buddha gives the example. Remember this story? Buddha said, if you took a mountain that was the, the, the width the length that it would take an oxen to walk in one day, which is about six miles. It's six miles long, six miles wide, and six miles high. And every 100 years, a bird flies by the mountain with a silk scarf in its beak. And it runs the scarf over the top of the mountain in the length of time it would take for the silk scarf to wear down the mountain. That's how long. Birth, death, birth, death, birth, death. If you want to get a little sense of the time, just look at how many times you've blinked your eyes since you walked in here. Those are like lifetimes. It's just a time change, time shift. This whole thing you're involved in, this is the big one. Right. You've said that for the last 10,000 of them. Okay. This is the one I'm going to do it. Right. Just one more pizza. Right. And there it is, another birth, another pizza. Right. Start another dimension of this evening. For those of you that know these words, words of birds, sit straight and just breathe into your heart and keep rising on the energy in this room, all right? Let the words flow in and out. You don't have to turn off that reality to do the other thing, but you can go beyond the words here, too. The words are to keep the intellect calm. So another process can go on tonight. Six o'clock, despair. I have tried every strategy I know in order to master the universe and be in control of it and recreate the Garden of Eden, and I can't do it. Despair. Despair is the prerequisite for awakening. 601, right in the middle of a birth, you began to awaken. Now, why do I say in the middle of a birth? Because between births, you have awakened each time, only to go to sleep again as you took birth. But often, you resisted the awakening between births. See, a person that's, say, at 7.30 or 8 o'clock, who's already awakening during a birth, is different than somebody at 4 o'clock who didn't awaken at all during the birth, who denied all awakening, was the 85% who said, I never want to have that experience again. The person at 4.30 dies. They're dying. They say, save me, save me. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Do whatever you need to do. Keep me from dying. And then they're dead. And a moment later, a voice says to them, welcome. And they say, if I'm hearing a voice saying welcome, I guess I didn't die. And the voice says, no, you did die. For a person at 4.30, utter confusion. That confusion can last until the next birth. It's called purgatory. 8.30, however, you're dying, you're dying, I don't want to die, I don't want to die. You still don't want to die at 8.30, you see. You don't not give a damn till around 11.15. At 8.30, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, save me, save me, save me, you're dead. Welcome. I guess I didn't die. No, you did die. At that moment, those moments of awakening you had during your previous birth suddenly flick over into figure instead of into background, and you say, far out. All that stuff that happened to me was real. And then you're wide open, and then you are a collaborator in the preparation for your next round. You work with the Cosmic Karmic Council (laughs) in the realm of the astral (laughs) meshuganas in planning the next dance. But there are more surprises in store yet. For as you get up near 11 o'clock, you're working out all of your karma, and you're awake during most of your birth. Get to 11.59. New choice. 11.59. At that point, You can merge back into, give up the last vestige of separateness that's left, which is merely the thought of I. That's all that's left, the thought of I. Or you can push against the final merge and stay in form. And why would you stay in form? Not because of your personal desires any longer, because you don't have any. You stay in form because of what in Tibetan Buddhism is called the bodhisattva vow. You stay in form because of the suffering of all sentient beings. That's what a guru is. It's a being who is staying in form in order to relieve the suffering of other beings. 11.59. 11.59. Where are you? 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, you're at least past 6 o'clock or you wouldn't be in this room. 7.30, 9, 10.30, quarter 12. Are these moments on the clock births and deaths? Could you go through the entire clock in one birth? There is no fixed time, no time units. It's the karmic clock. And the final realization at 11.59 is that the entire clock was an illusion. For at that moment, path and pilgrim and goal merge into one. And you see that the entire clock was within the illusion of time. When Buddha says, you already are the Buddha, meaning you already are fully enlightened, you are merely busy thinking you are not. And the entire sadhana, the entire path is the path of awakening you out of your illusion of separateness to acknowledge who you already are. Thus, nobody teaches you anything. They merely remind you. And that what you are seeking is not out there, It doesn't lie in me as opposed to lying in you. The only difference is that I'm not as attached to who I think I am as you are. The act of meditation is the act of transcending your models or molds of who you are to recognize yourself. What is it you want this lifetime? What is it you want? Somebody at 4.30 wants more pleasure. Somebody at 8.30 wants to return to the source wants to know god wants to become enlightened wants to be free wants to be realized wants to be liberated from suffering a person at 830 recognizes buddha's four noble truths that the cause of suffering is clinging or attachment and says, help me free myself from clinging and attachment, so that I might end suffering. Let me be free. At 4.30, you try to optimize pleasure and minimize pain you try to get high and avoid the low. At 8.30, you say, everything in my life, the highs and the lows, are all grist for the mill of going home. I will eat it all. And it's even farther out than that because at that point, your suffering becomes functional for your awakening. Your suffering literally becomes grace. That's a heavy one. At that point, when you get caught in anger far out, it's showing you where you're clinging and you are more interested in getting done with clinging than you are just getting high again. Then you are ready to take life as it comes towards you without defining this, but not that. I want a new Cadillac, but I don't want cancer. By 10 o'clock, you're ready to say, ah, new Cadillac. Ah, cancer. Ah, life. Ah, death. Ah, pleasure. Ah, decay. Because all of it is seen only in relation to that television channel in which the soul is going home. And everything on all the planes is grist for the mill of the process of awakening. You use it all. And your life at this moment is an absolutely perfect statement. Perfect. Most of you sit around saying, if only, whatever, if only, if only I were 20 years younger, 20 years older, richer, poorer, more beautiful, a different sex, whatever. If only by around 9 o'clock, that's all over. You're looking at just how it is, and you're saying, far out. Well, what am I going to do with this one? Now, this is where it becomes very delicate. Because as you keep flipping these realities, is this too heavy or are you? Can you hear me? I'm sorry it's so heavy, but it'll be clearer after all. I'll get lighter after a while. It's just, I don't know why. It's whatever this vibration is. When you are busy identifying with your suffering, You are a tremendously socially concerned human being because you look around and you think of all the suffering and your empathy is very great. When you shift these channels a little bit and you ultimately look up and you begin to see all of the forms of the universe in perfect harmony with one another, and you begin to experience. The perfection of the flow, including the suffering, the violence, the starvation, etc. At that moment, you look at the universe and you say, from your great height high in the Himalayas, you say, it is all perfect. if you stop in that reality, you can be very, very high in the Buddha mind, but you forgot the bleeding heart of the Christ. The liberated being is the being who simultaneously is looking up and seeing the perfection of it all, and looking down and seeing the blood on the snow and seeing the suffering. The balance is that you as an incarnated being in North Miami High School, North Miami Beach High School, must honor your incarnation in order to be free. You cannot deny it, and your incarnation is as a human being living among many human beings, most of whom are suffering unbearably. That balance, the balance of the Buddha mind of seeing the emptiness of forms and the perfection, and at the same moment keeping your heart wide open to the suffering in the universe around you, and using your incarnation to alleviate suffering, that is the balance that is the statement of liberation. If you get so high that you're walking down the street so high that somebody trips and falls, and you don't bother to help them up because, after all, it's perfect. You forgot God in form. If you're so busy helping the person up on the street that you forget at that moment the perfection of the entire dance, including the fall and the helping, you forgot God in the formless state. It's a tough path to have the strength to keep it together in form and formless. To relieve suffering and to work with suffering. See, how you deal with suffering depends on the level of consciousness. Like the example that I've used before, if somebody comes to you and says, I am a yogi, I would like to do a fast and I am healthy, and I say, all right, fast for nine days. And they come to me at seven days and they say, I'm doing fine. I say, great, go right ahead, fast some more. If I then walk out on the street and somebody comes up to me and says, hey man, I haven't eaten in seven days, you got a quarter. I don't say to him, you're doing fine, proceed. Right? There's the quarter. Because his level of consciousness, he's busy suffering. The other being is using the suffering to awaken. It's the same thing, they both didn't eat for seven days. One person is busy being the person who didn't eat for seven days. The other person's being the person who's going to God. No judgment. One person's at 4 30, one person's at 9 o'clock. You don't judge that a person that's 40 is better than a person that's 20, they're just 20 years older. The beings around you represent different ages of incarnation. Your parents, your children, your brothers and sisters, your friends, all different. All different. For a moment you might meet in the journey and then spread apart. No matter how hard you try to grab the hand, it can't happen because you are at different levels of the dance. You have different work to do.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation,